near the end of the Bible. If you go to the very end and back up about four or five books, you'll come to James, four or five relatively short books. Can, any, can anybody name the, all the New Testament books in a row? Someone who's under 18 or under. Anyone want to volunteer? All right. Let's hear it, buddy. And just the attempt is great. Just the attempt at this is wonderful. Excellent. Very good. I can remember as I was first getting to know the Bible years ago, uh, it was very intimidating, and there were certain little things I had to remember it. I remember somebody uh, told me the phrase, Gentiles eat pork chops, G-E-P-C, was how you remembered those middle books, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, or General Electric Power Company, whatever works for you. I had all these little ways to remember it, but... Uh, I know for some of you, reading the Bible and getting into it is a fairly new thing. That's wonderful. We don't want you to be discouraged, but encouraged, because you are beginning a journey of discovering an amazing book full of uh, cosmic, glorious, um, down-to-earth truth. And so we as a church are committed to the Word of God because it is uh, through which we are instructed it's through which we receive life the church is formed by the word of god Uh, there are lots of things we're called to as a church but the life of the church comes from the word and so we ground ourselves in the word so we'll be in james god's word in in james chapter 3 today and we are looking at the the topic of the gospel and my words we are in a series called the gospel for real life where we are looking at how the good news of Jesus Christ, of His death and resurrection and all the things that come with that, how this good news affects our lives in nitty-gritty ways. We're taking what we might call Sunday morning truths and we're thinking about the Monday morning realities that they speak to. And certainly this issue of our words and my words, by the way, I, I titled it the gospel and my words versus our words or your words because the emphasis here you'll see in James and elsewhere is to look at our own words, to look at ourselves. And this is a very much a Monday morning reality for all of us, the use of our words or the abuse of our words. And so today we're going to see how the gospel speaks to this important need. We really all have been, I would say, on both ends of a hurtful tongue. I think every one of us have stories of ways that someone's hurtful tongue was used against us or ways that we were hurtful in our use of words and speech. I have loads of stories. I won't bore you with one, but let me tell you two stories uh, that I have about a hurtful tongue. One was where I was on the uh, receiving end of a hurtful tongue. Years ago, I was a relatively young research engineer working for a, a laboratory, a, a government, an army laboratory. And we, were, uh, we came up with this new test method. Actually, we adapted it from somebody who had done all the work. And uh, it was used to test kind of space-age materials, and there, was, and there was this new, brand-new material that the Army, actually the Navy, the Air Force, they were all looking at, at with great hope. 
And we use this new method to test this material. The traditional test methods took 18 months to get a, a data point. Uh, and that's a long time when you're kind of wanting a new material to come out. And this method we, we adapted, it took about a week to get a number. And, the, and if you know kind of research and the world of industry, that's huge. To be able to get something out, results in a week, uh, was huge. So we were developing it, and we invited the, the developer, the original developer of the test method in. And I was the engineer in charge, and he came in, and, and I was just asking him tons of questions because I just wanted to learn more about different things. And so we had this time just full of questions. And it seemed to go really well. It was very helpful. It helped us you know, perfect the method even better. But for some reason, I still don't know to this day why, this expert went from that meeting and went to my fellow, my peers in engineering and told them all I did not know what I was doing. We, we, he said, we didn't know what we were doing in this test method. So that rumor went out. And, and basically, it, uh, it ruined our reputation in many ways for this test method. And, and another part of it was that our results for this new material showed it to be like 20% weaker than what everyone thought. All the early test results showed it stronger. Ours showed 20% weaker. So they were just saying, what a, bunch of, what a bunch of idiots, you know, that they're doing this test. And I went to work for 18 months, you know, with other engineers that were kind of looking at me and looking at us as quacks. Now, thank God there's a, a good ending to the story. 18 months later, guess what happens? The results with the traditional method confirmed our lower numbers. And then all of a sudden, everyone wanted to be our friends. Um, but that was, a, I, I remember, a, you know, a real poignant experience of, a, of being on the receiving end of a hurtful tongue. You probably have your own stories. Now, I, I wish I could just say the stories were that way, but I have stories where it was the other way around. Uh, and I don't have to go very far to access some of those stories. One of them... Uh, was when was as a as a pastor and preacher actually this is a dangerous thing to do to be up here preaching God's word and filling it with lots of words uh, where their words are many sin is sin is uh, present and sin is not absent and uh, some years ago some of you may remember this actually I was illustrating a key point in a message and and for some reason I I made the decision and I probably shouldn't have done this well I shouldn't have done it to use one of my children to illustrate the point. And the problem was I didn't talk to that child. And, and I went into great detail, actually, in the illustration about his behavior uh, to illustrate a worthy point. The point was worthy, but the illustration wasn't very smart. And, um, and I went to great detail, and it really just exposed him before the congregation, uh, and exposed uh, you know, what, what might be called a weakness before the congregation. And I remember after that message, um, I remember it vividly, just him coming up to me and just tears, like, Dad, why did you ever do that? And it, and it wasn't so much, you know, whether I used that illustration or not. I mean, certainly that was the, the point, but it was the broken trust. Here I am at this, his father and his pastor, and I, and I broke a trust. I, I embarrassed him in front of everybody because I thought it was a good illustration. Uh, now he forgave me, and he's given me permission to use this story as well, just in case you're wondering. <laughs> um, but that was when I was on the other end. How about you? What are your stories? What are your experiences where you've either been on the receiving end or the giving end of a hurtful tongue? This is a problem with us, isn't it? It's a problem we face all the time. And, and this problem of our words and, and our evil words that come out of our mouths is like a dread disease. 
and it affects us. And God's given us a cure. He's given us His Word. His Word is sufficient to cure this dread problem, this Monday morning reality we all face. His Word is sufficient. And James 3 in particular is an excellent passage that speaks to us. What James 3, you'll see it's going to do is first it's going to expose, it's going to diagnose the problem. And, it, and James does not pull punches. James James, uh, leaves the, when he leaves the room, there's no one left standing, okay? There's his thing. He's, he's just going to push this thing so hard. Each one of us are going to have to face the fact that we are failures in this area. So, so he spends time diagnosing the problem. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look at the reality behind it of a holy judge. We're going to look at the horror of the, of the tongue. And then we're going to look at the hope for rescue that's in James, both in chapter 3 and chapter 4. I'll touch on both verses. So before we do that, though, before we look at His Word, let's pray and ask God to speak to us through His Word and through the preaching of His Word. Lord, we thank You for Your Word and how we need Your help, O God. Lord, for many of us, this is, this is the, the place where the rubber meets the road for our faith. This is the place where we fail day after day. And this is the place where we need some sort of rescue. And we ask You, Lord, to help us. We ask You to, to speak to us through Your Word. Pray you'd use me, Lord, to serve your people. Oh, Lord, how I want us to understand how the gospel, how the good news, how the truth we have in Christ changes this situation, changes us. And I pray each one here would hear from you and understand both the horror of the situation, but the wonderful hope we have that makes all the difference in Christ. Speak to us, we pray, Lord. Glorify your name, we ask. Amen. Amen. James chapter 3, 1 through 8. I believe we have it to project. You can follow along in your Bibles or on the screen or just listen. James speaks to us. God speaks to us through James. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, He is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire. A world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird and of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? 
Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. God's Word, James chapter 3. As I said, I want to talk about three things from this uh, Scripture. First, I want to talk about the reality of a holy judge. Our godly speech or ungodly speech and a holy judge. Then I want to talk about the horror of the tongue and then hope for a rescue. James starts out saying, not many of you should become teachers, brothers, for you know that we will teach, will be judged with greater strictness. We all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man. The reality is, is we all stumble. We all stumble in many ways. And one of the chief ways we stumble and one of the hardest ways to deal with in our stumbling is what we say. We stumble with our words. And and the man or woman who's learned not to stumble in their words is truly a perfect person, or really the word there is mature. They're an incredibly mature person. The person who can control their speech is incredibly mature in Christ. And James warns the people he's speaking to to be careful with their ambitions to teach. For a teacher is called, and a teacher by nature uses lots of words. And probably the situation that he's addressing is, is in the church, in the, in, in the church in the area around Israel and so forth in that day. There were perhaps many people in the church who thought themselves wise, who thought they were worthy of being teachers, and, and, and who were oriented to spend a lot of time telling others what they thought about whatever. And James is saying, guys, you should be very sober about that. Because we stumble with our words. We all do. And if you make it your ambition to be a teacher, you will be judged with a greater strictness, for we will all be judged by our words. And if words are plenty, there's plenty of things to be judged by. And that's not just for teachers, it's really for all of us. Jesus says in John, I mean in Matthew chapter 12, he says this: I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Sober truth. Sober truth. There's this reality of of our speech and of our evil speech later on actually in in James chapter 4, which is actually related. The whole whole section starts in chapter 3 verse 1 and and doesn't finish till chapter 4 verse 12. It all goes together. And he says at the conclusion in chapter 4, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. 
But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? When we speak evil, that James is teaching us at the heart of it is this idea that I'm the judge. That I'm the one who can judge what's going on. I know what's right. And I know what this person is doing. And I can, I can see it, so I'm going to say it. I'm going to speak evil. And this is a presumptuous viewpoint. For the reality is, there is a judge and it's not you. There's only one lawgiver and judge. And he's the one who can save and destroy. He's the one who holds us accountable for our words. That's sobering. To know that we are going to be judged for our words. There's a, there's a judge, there's a lawgiver, there's a holy one who will hold us accountable for everything we say. And I think because this reality for us is so distant, we don't expect that we're going to stand before our judge anytime soon. We, we just forget about it and we go about our day casual. But could you imagine if for every day you went around with a tape recorder and every word you said was recorded? Everything you said was recorded. And at the end of every day, you had to report into your word probation officer. And you would re he would review with you the words of the day. And depending on what you said, there would be, maybe you'd go back to word prison or whatever. There, your probation officer would do something about it. How would you live your day if every day you knew at the end of the day, everything was recorded and you were going to have to give an account for your words at the end of the day? How would that affect your day? That's what James is getting at here. Guys, that's the reality we live in. We will stand before God accountable for every single word. That's sobering. And it's meant to be so. And especially addressing those who would desire to teach, we should be very afraid. And it's, and, and you know, I, <laughs> my study of this, I thought, this isn't fair, God, because you're saying you're going to judge me more strictly, but you called me into this. And I wouldn't be doing it if he hadn't because of this sober reality. And I trust his grace and mercy. So we live before a holy judge. That is one truth that must factor into how we understand, how we relate to our words. There's a holy judge who we, to whom we will give account, who is the authority over us. Now, we don't like that. We like the idea of freedom and independence. We like the idea of being our own judges and the captains of our own destiny, but it's just a fairy tale. It's just a fairy tale. We're all made by God and for God. And we are accountable to God for our words. James continues here, and he talks about the horror of the tongue. He just piles up metaphors one after another. He's just ruthless and persistent and piling up metaphors, helping us to see just how awful the tongue is. And so he starts, he talks about how the tongue is domineering. It's disproportionate in its influence. It, it dominates us. And so he uses the pictures of a, of a horse, this massive being. How much does a horse weigh typically? Two tons, a ton? About, about a ton, yeah. Uh, so you have this one-ton animal, just massive it could just charge into, you know, into a crowd and just knock everyone over. It has control. Yet, it, you put a bridle, in it, a bridle in its mouth and you can direct the horse wherever you want. This is disproportionate strength to the bridle moving this massive animal. He talks about a ship, these multi-ton ships blown around by strong winds. Really, even tons of, of pressure on those winds. And this ship gets driven by the strong winds, but then there's this little tiny rudder at the back and you just have to turn it to make a ship go wherever you want. And then a, a forest fire. 
massive forest fires burning down thousands of acres perhaps, started by a little spark. And that's what the tongue's like. It's this little tiny thing. Compared to the rest of us, it's very small. The rest of our body, it's very small. It's this little tiny member inside of our mouths, and yet it controls all of our lives. It has disproportionate influence in our lives. This is the reality we we must face. And then he goes on to teach us that this tongue is not only disproportionately influential, but it's full of evil. It's full of evil. He calls it, uh, it's, it's not just a small thing. He says it's a world of unrighteousness. This little member in it contains all the possible evils of the whole world, all the evil of the worldly system can come through the tongue. It's evil. It's a world of unrighteousness. It stains the whole body. Sets on fire a whole life as it is fueled often by the, the flames of hell itself. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. James is piling up these, these pictures, these metaphors, so that we might recognize how awful this situation is. We have this thing living inside of our mouth that's like this evil, I think of like a horror movie actually when I think about what he's saying. It's like little, a little miniature evil alien lives right in here. And when I open my mouth, it's like, ah! it's, it's ready to do evil. That's the reality. That's the horror here that James is getting at. We all have this in our mouths, ready to do evil, ready to bring destruction, ready to bring harm. He talks about the fact that we can tame all sorts of wild animals, these ferocious animals, wolves and, and bears and so forth. We can tame all these things. But this little snail-sized thing, we can't tame. We can't tame it. So James is just hammering this reality. And then he goes on to say this, is, this tongue is a living contradiction. It's a contradiction in motion. Because with our tongue, we, we bless God. We bless our Father who, who is worthy, who's great and glorious. And we bless our Lord and Father. That's, that's some of the best things we can do, really, is to proclaim how great God is with our tongue. What a, what a glorious and beautiful thing to praise God with our tongue. But then we can turn it around, and it doesn't take but a moment to turn it around and to curse the things that are made, the ones that are made in God's image right before us. In some ways, the most tangible witness of who God is right before us, man made in his image, man and woman, we curse them with the same tongue. How can that be? Makes no sense. Blessings and cursings flow. James talks about it like water. Like a, Can you imagine if we went to the bubbler here and, and you went to get a drink and one time you put your glass up there and you got a nice glass of spring, cold spring water. And then you went and did it again. And this time, it, and you went to drink it, it was putrid sulfur-containing salt water. And you never knew what you were going to get. Would you ever go to the bubbler? No. That's what our tongues are like. One, at one moment, it's fresh spring water. The next moment, it's putrid sulfur salt water. It doesn't make sense. It's unpredictable and nonsensical. It's a living contradiction. And James uses all these things just to get at the reality of the horror of the tongue. Now, he, he uses, I would say, hyperbole in this, that he, he, he you know, exaggerates in a sense to make the point that we have this awful thing in us, this, this alien 
evil alien that dwells in us and, and influences our lives. And, and I think we all know that. There's many ways I think I could illustrate my own life and, and, and stuff. I was just thinking of one. This, this, um, it's from actually the movie, uh, the, the book, Le Miserable. Um, and from what I've heard, the new movie does a great job of representing that story. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but I know the story. In, in the story of Le Miserable, uh, Cosette is living with this family, uh, Tenardiers, and, they, um, and they're, they're just this awful couple. And they're her foster parents. And they treat her terribly. It's a Cinderella situation. They're nasty in what they say. And I remember the particular scene in the movie version I saw where uh, Jean Valjean comes to uh, redeem her, to adopt her. And he's a wealthy gentleman. And he comes into their inn, and they're, and they're just nasty. They're just treating her so terribly and just saying all these nasty things. And then Jean Valjean comes in and shows an interest in her. And all of a sudden, their speech turns around. And they're just, just this wonderful speech, like... Oh, oh, you know, we love Cosette, and oh, it's nice to meet you. And because they realize they have that he wants to buy her, he wants to redeem or adopt her. So their speech goes from nastiness to Cosette, and then right away, oh, yeah, John Bell John, you know, how, we, we love her. What can we do? It, it just totally changes. And then I thought, you know, that, that, that's an that's, uh, ever present reality. Um, what parent has not had the experience where you're at home and things are awful at home and your kids are just running around as hellions. And you're like, yo, kids, what are you doing? You know, this is awful. I work hard for you. The phone rings. Hello. Who is <laughs> Hi, nice to talk to you. How are you doing today? Let's get back there and do your stuff. So how's it going? You know, we, I think we've all done that, have we not? Yeah. And guys, don't point to your mom or dad. This is supposed to be applied here to yourself. That's the reality we live in. There's this, this awful evil beast. And, and, and that's humorous, that. But there are, I mean, we know there's much more serious situations and much more significant harm that we have brought and can bring to people. And James is just ruthless. He doesn't let us go here. There's no room for, for trying to wriggle out of this and think that we're doing okay. But James doesn't leave us there. Thank God, huh? He doesn't leave us there with this evil alien inside of our mouths. He doesn't leave us in the middle of the horror movie. Uh, there's, this is not a horror movie. It actually has a good ending. He addresses us, and he starts to speak about the solution, the, the rescue. That's what the end of chapter 3 is, is about, and actually the end of the section in chapter 4 is about. He introduces this idea, which is right in the middle. If you read through and study this section, this is all about speech, by the way. So this section in verses 13 to 18, maybe we could put those up. This section in verses 13 to 18, um, are, they're not a separate section. They're right in the middle of this discussion of speech. So it's relevant. Certainly it applies to other things as well. But he brings in this idea of these two kinds of wisdom. There are two kinds of wisdom. There's earthly wisdom and there's heavenly wisdom. The wisdom that comes from above. He talks about these two kinds of of wisdom. And he's, what he's getting at is that this evil speech comes from earthly wisdom. It's driven from earthly wisdom. It's not from heavenly wisdom. It's driven by earthly wisdom. And heavenly wisdom looks totally different in what comes out of the mouth. There, the, there are these two kinds of wisdom. And, and James basically says, you can just tell, you can just look at someone's conduct by his works. They show whether there's heavenly wisdom or earthly wisdom. And he contrasts these two. 
He contrasts the two different types of wisdom, the two, the two different types in terms of their conduct, in terms of their source, in terms of their nature. Earthly wisdom is characterized by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Earthly wisdom is focused on self. What I don't have, what I want. Bitter jealousy. I, they have something, I want it. Or I want this thing and you're in my way. It, it feels strongly, earthly wisdom feels strongly about its opinions. My opinions are what matters most. And it brooks no rivals and ambitions. My ambitions are central. And the source of this sort of wisdom, characterized by these things, is, is that it's earthly, unspiritual, and even demonic. It's evil. What drives evil tongues is earthly wisdom. What drives earthly wisdom, what's behind it, is this earthly, unspiritual, even demonic source. And the result of earthly wisdom is disorder and vile practices. For where you have these things, you have disorder and every evil practice, vile practices. Now James here is addressing most likely disorder and vile practices that are fueled by evil speech. And he's addressing the church, so more than likely he, he's getting at the fact that in the, these churches there is disorder and vile practices of, of all sorts. And this is just so wise and so true. If you see a church conflict going on, at the root of it you can find evil speech. That fuels it. Evil speech is the fuel for conflict, the fuel for an atmosphere of complaining, the fuel for a pastor or leader who's domineering and selfish, and, and it fuels the destruction he would bring. It fuels church splits. Disorder and evil practices flow from evil speech, which flows from evil or earthly wisdom. Now he contrasts earthly wisdom with the wisdom from above. How beautiful is the picture a wisdom from above. Listen in verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This wisdom from above is so different. And the results are so different and the source is so different than earthly wisdom. It comes from above. It's from God. And, and, and even if it didn't say that, looking at these, at these descriptions, we, we would easily surmise that this is from above because this sort of wisdom is what describes our Savior and what He was like and what He is like. Pure, peaceable, gentle, full of mercy, good fruit, open to reason, impartial and sincere. And what's the result of this sort of wisdom? What, what, what comes from it? it? What comes from it, James says, is a harvest of righteousness. A harvest of righteousness. All the good fruit that goes along with righteousness flows from this, from, from those who sow in peace, by those who make peace. Those who are, who are filled with heavenly wisdom are peacemakers. They want true peace. Now, it's not a, it's not a weak and pathetic peace. It's a, it's a Christ-centered, godly, truth-filled peace. But it is peace. And they want to sow peace. And they sow in peace through their words, through godly words, through truthful, uplifting gentle, kind 
words. And there's a fruit, a harvest of righteousness that results. That's at the core here. The difference between a tongue that's an evil beast and a tongue that blesses is whether there's earthly wisdom or heavenly wisdom going on. And and you may ask, well, how do I get this heavenly wisdom? How do I get it? How do I stop living in earthly wisdom and live in heavenly wisdom? Well, I I, I think James chapter 4, as James James finishes this conversation, James chapter 4, 11 through 12, gives us the answer. And if we could put that up. Because what James does here is he goes to to the heart even that's behind these wisdoms, earthly and heavenly. Listen to what he says again. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law. So God's law, God's holy ways, his good ways, his ways that are really expressions of love, speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law... You are not a doer of the law, but a judge. You are living contrary to the law to to think that you can be a judge. And then verse 12, the key verse here, there is only one lawgiver and judge. He who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? Behind this earthly wisdom is this idea that I'm the judge. This idea that I can be the one who judges other people. I stand as the authority and implied in that or behind it is this idea that I am somehow worthy to be a judge. That I am somehow faultless. That I can see clearly because my life is free from sin and I am able to be the judge and speak about others evil and speak evil of them and judge them and condemn them. And James goes right after this. There's only one lawgiver and judge. And guess what? It ain't you. It ain't me. He's holy and good and sinless and has every right to judge us. The ultimate judge actually is is God, but God in the form of God the Son. The Son lived a perfect life. He never sinned. He, He obeyed the law. He was holy. He was ever loving of his Father, ever loving of others. He loved his Father and he loved others to the point of death on a cross, dying for sinners, suffering. And in his perfect righteousness, expressed not only through his life, but climaxing in, culminating in his death on the cross, he demonstrated that he is indeed holy and good and perfect. And he was raised from the dead and he's, he's reigning now. He comes back as king and judge as the only one who has the right to judge. And he's able to save and destroy. And when we understand that we're not the judge, but he is, it totally changes our view of our speech and of our lives. It keeps us from the the, the ridiculous situation of thinking that we can be judges. I I heard a story, I read a story uh, yesterday of a a woman in in, uh, Springfield, Missouri um, who called the police to report somebody for scamming her and stealing her money. The only problem was, the, the report was that the guy who scammed her was her drug dealer. And he had, he had given her uh, fake cocaine, and it was just sugar. And she spent all her money on the cocaine, and this guy ripped her off. So he, she called the police 
to report the guy. You can guess what happened. The police came, and guess who got in trouble? She did. She was, she was uh, charged with a, a drug crime as a result of this. But, but isn't that like us? Aren't, isn't that what we do? You know, look at this person. They, they don't know what they're doing. Or what a stupid driver. Don't, can't they drive faster? Or, or they cut me off or whatever. I mean, or what, what you kids, you never do what you're told. Or if I were a parent, I would do things better than you or I would do things differently. I mean, you can, we can just go on, right? I mean, and I, if I had access to your speech, we could spend the next day just illustrating, right? Couldn't we? And we're just like that woman calling the police to report a crime we committed, really, ourselves, but so blind that we don't see that. That's what James is getting at. We need to recognize that the biggest criminal we know, the biggest offender we know, is this one. My biggest problem is not the other people who sin against me, and they may sin against me. I'm not denying that. They may do evil. I'm not denying that. I'm not saying, let's just be Pollyanna and pretend that everybody's good and happy. That's not what I'm saying. But my biggest problem is not you. My biggest problem is not those around me. My biggest problem is not those in politics or those in the church, perhaps. That's not my biggest problem. My biggest problem is me and the fact that I am guilty. And there is one judge who I have to answer to, and he can save and destroy it. And there's good news that falls with that. That changes everything. The one who could and has every right to judge and destroy me offered up that very righteous life in my place that he might be judged for me and condemned for me. And simply through receiving that gift in faith, that is mine. He indeed has been judged and condemned for me and for you. And if you haven't put your faith in that judge in Christ who died for you, you can do that right now. You just need to say, Lord, forgive me. Thank you for dying for my sins. Now take control of my life. Just pray that. And I would love to pray with you afterwards as well. For all of us, who recognize there is one judge who can save and destroy and have run to that judge for mercy. All of our sins are forgiven. The one who could judge us took the judgment himself, was condemned and paid for us. So how can we ever relate to others with judgmental attitudes? How can we ever treat others with evil speech? if the judge himself died for us because we deserve to be judged? How can we ever be impatient or unkind or unmerciful to others? It makes no sense. And that's what James is getting at. If the band could come up as, as we prepare to close. When you get that truth that there is one judge who can save and destroy, and when you get the further truth that he has already saved you by letting himself be destroyed for you, it changes you and how you speak. It changes me. That's the power, folks. That's the power right there to change how we talk and what we say to others. Remembering and centering on the good news. Trusting in him and living in that. 
and celebrating in it and remembering. Guys, there's the reality that we drift from this truth all the time and we totally forget that we are the biggest problem in our own lives. And yet that problem's been taken care of. We forget it moment by moment. We need to return to it every, every day. People talk about this, this practice of preaching the gospel to yourself. And all that means is just proclaiming this truth to yourself, reminding yourself again and again and again. The holy judge was judged for my sin. And now I'm forgiven and I belong to him. And now that changes how I relate to others. There's, because I have received mercy and patience undeservedly, I extend that to others. And what a glorious picture James offers us in this wisdom from above of a life of heavenly wisdom, a life shaped by the gospel, a life that is pure and peaceable and gentle, full of mercy and good fruits, open to reason and partial and sincere. If we want that, if we want that in our marriages, if we want that in our families, if we want that in our small group or our relationships or our church or our workplace, or our neighborhood even, our community, then let it begin with me. Let us remember these truths from James 3. As we recognize the horror of the tongue, as we recognize the holy judge, and as we put our hope in the true hope of the gospel, there will be change. What I want to do is, uh, before we go into song and worship and closing, I just want to give you opportunity to think about one relationship where this is a real need for you. One relationship. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's the person sitting right next to you. One relationship where there has been speech that's been evil and hurtful. And just to go before the Lord, in light of James 3 and 4, ask God to forgive you. Confess your sin to that person, perhaps. And then proclaim the gospel to yourself, perhaps to each other. Remember the, the powerful truth of the gospel, how it changes us and gives us ability to speak differently. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the difference your good news makes in our speech. Help us to live every moment before you as the judge that can save and destroy and who has indeed saved us that every word we say might be blessing and truthful and good and benefit others, full of peace, producing a harvest of righteousness, we pray. Amen.